1: Those of you don't know me, my name is Kurt McDonald. I have the great honor of being one of the pastors here uh, at the church, and this morning is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, as many of you know, uh, I was born and raised right here in Georgia. Where are my Georgia folks at? Uh, I was raised in the South. Uh, I grew up going to church in the South. Where am I? Grew up going to church in the South, people, okay? So, grew up going to church in the South. I'm incredibly grateful uh, for that, for being raised in the South and and going to church in the South and having a lot of my uh, kind of the way that I view the world shaped by that, my thinking shaped by that. Uh, and, and so, with all of the church in the South's beauties, uh, there there are also many sins. Amen. So so I do talk a lot about the church in the South because I love it, and so I critique it from a place of, of love. Obviously, uh, one of the chief sins of the church in the South would be racism and, and segregation uh, a, among the chief one, but what I wanna talk about this morning is another one of the many sins of the church in the South, and, and here it is. One of the many great sins of the church in the South is the subtle deconstruction of radical, faith. The subtle, not overt, but the subtle deconstruction uh, of of radical faith. You see, as the faith was brought to these great shores by the Puritans and and by others, there was an understanding that this was a religion that was radically devoted to Christ. They, They preached a gospel that said, come and take up your cross it, it, uh, now, now, when they said cross, they meant the, the Roman uh, uh, institution of taking up the torture device, which was a cross. That, that is what the call is to do, is to come and take up your cross and die. This was a radical faith calling you to lay aside your own personal rights and give them over uh, to Christ. So what of our individual rights? Well, we give them to Christ. What of our professional ambitions? We give them to Christ. What about our sexual desires? Well, we turn them over to Christ. Our domestic home life, we turn all of it over to Christ. It was a radical faith. It was a costly faith that that was being preached at at that time. But somewhere along the way, the church in the South took this radical idea of giving everything and all that you are to Christ, and they begin to subtly dismantle it. Again, it was not overt. What happened in many churches in the South is that we begin to give false assurance. Help me today, somebody. False assurance, meaning we said, um, we took the free offer of grace, w- which is good, right, and biblical, and, and we said, all you have to do, if you would like to be saved, all you have to do is just raise your hand. Just be, you wanna get right with God? Just, just lift up your hand. And we failed to emphasize a radical devotion to Christ. We, we, we took the offer of free grace and robbed it of a life of personal holiness this is what happened in the church in the South. It was was an emphasis. There was no emphasis on the life of devotion and sacrifice to Christ. No emphasis on self-denial. No emphasis on a life of radical faith that should necessarily follow. And sadly, many churches made it possible to have one foot in a secular and unholy world while keeping the other foot inside the doors of the church. So, What is the declaration of of so many? It was was something like this. You don't have to be one of those fanatics, one of those holy rollers, one of those holier-than-now Bible thumpers, Jesus freaks. You can have your own personal relationship with Christ and come to your own understanding with God. When, if you're taking notes, the declaration of a Christian is, we belong to Christ and he alone governs my life. The declaration of every Christian everywhere is, I belong to Christ and he alone governs my life. This is why it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We belong to Christ. You were bought with a price. Do you know, church family, what that price was? Do you know what the price was? They, they tied him, they scourged him, they crucified him. He bled and he died for you. That's the price. You, you were bought with a price. And so therefore now your life belongs to him. Therefore, what governs what I do, what I say, where I go, how I live, how I view the world is all governed by Christ and through Christ. This is the call from from the scriptures. So now while I'm talking about uh, an issue or a problem within uh, the Southern Church, it is certainly not limited to the Southern Church. Amen. That this this is a problem in in many churches all across the world and it was certainly a problem in the church in Corinth as as they were trying to keep one foot in the secular world and also one foot in the church because they believed that they could go down to these pagan temples, which was a regular social common practice and sit in the pagan temple and eat a meal. Why did they come to that conclusion? Well, because idols are nothing, it's no big deal. Idols aren't anything, so it's no problem if we continue to engage in this regular social activity, which is going down and having a big feast and a meal inside the temple, It's no big deal because idols aren't anything and we can do that and still be a Christian. Living in two worlds, not understanding that there is to be a radical devotion to Christ and Christ alone. There is one God, the song we just sang, there is one God and he will not share his throne. So, okay, I gotta get to the text today. Here is the big idea. If you're a big idea person, I got one point, one point today. Here it is. Serve Christ alone for he alone is worthy. Serve Christ alone, for he alone is worthy. We we need to understand that there are idols that come up in our heart. An idol is worshipping anything other than God. It is giving yourself over to things that are not what God calls us to or devoting yourself to anything other than God alone. Now, does this mean that you cannot love your family and serve your family? Of course not. It means that to the ends of loving and serving your family, you are prioritizing God ahead of everything else. So, so, so my passion for the Lord and for who he is and who he says I am comes before anything else. It comes before my ambitions at work. It comes before my spouse. It becomes before my children. It, it governs all areas of my life. What do I do with alcohol? What do I do with, uh, about sex? What do I do about all of these issues in my life? All of that comes underneath who God is and who God has declared I am through the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the sermon. I got to get to the text so that you will see where I'm going, and that is my job to do today, so I'm going to get there. Here we go. Uh, Are are y'all tired of talking about meat sacrificed to idols? I hope not, because we, we started in chapter 8 talking about meat sacrifice to idols. Here we are in 10. We're going to continue. this Again, this whole section of 8, 9, and 10, it makes up this whole unit um, about meat sacrifice to idols, about those who are strong, about those who are weak. And again, how we as Christians who are called to have a singular devotion to Christ, to serve Christ alone— how we engage with the culture around us and other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what this whole unit is about. And so we're going to continue to talk about food, sacrifice to idols. Look at chapter 10, verse 14. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, my beloved. Now, what I found shocking this week as I was studying this text is that we are this far in and we've discovered some insane and crazy things about this church. Amen. I mean, I'm talking about some messed up, jacked up people and, and he, he has taken the task time and time again and yet he begins this whole section by saying, therefore, my beloved. He, he has a heart of love for these people to see them not worshiping idols, not trying to keep one foot in the secular culture and one foot in the church, but he, he longs to, out of a heart of love, he is trying to draw them into a singular devotion to Christ. He says, therefore, my beloved, here is the main call, the main plea, his main charge out of this whole section. Here it is flee from idolatry. Flee from, does he say walk away? Does he say meander away, a light jog away from? No, no, he says flee. He says run. He says get up and go. Divorce yourself from all types and forms of idolatry. This this is not something to tamper with. This is not something to play with. This is not something to take lightly. This is something that you take very seriously. This is something that you, you focus on every single day, waking up, discovering new idols in your life and killing them and getting rid of them so that you can have a single pursuit of Christ. Flee. From idolatry is is what he is saying. Now, what is so interesting about this this strong call to flee from idolatry is what he was saying in in 12 and in 13. Look at 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you. There's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, okay? So God is sovereign over your heart and your soul. God is gonna take care of you, yet... Your responsibility over here is to do what? Flee, to run. God is sovereign. He will see you to the end. He is sovereign over everything, everywhere. God loves you. He's going to take care of you. And now the human responsibility comes right next to and paired with God's sovereignty and human responsibility for you to get up off of your tail and run away from idolatry. These two things are are paired right next to each other. So what is idolatry? Well, simply stated, it's worshiping anything other than God. It's devoting yourself to anything other than God, giving your time, your talent, your treasure to anything other than God. Here's another way to say it if you're taking notes. Whenever we take a person feeling or thing and seek to make it fulfill the void in our soul that only God can fill, that's idolatry. When we take it... Anything, it could be a person. You have this deep loneliness in your soul that only God can fill. And instead of running to God to fill that deep loneliness, you reach out to this person. It could be a substance. Again, you have these feelings of anxiety and not being able to to settle. And so you drink a little bit and you drink a little bit more and you drink a little bit more and you drink a little bit more more to to push away these feelings instead of actually dealing with them. And instead of actually going to God and taking it to God, we we take it to a person or we take it to a bottle or we take it to our family. Uh Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. Again, this is the land of the South where where the family is the biggest idol of all right? The, the family is the most important thing. No, a single devotion to Christ is the most important thing. And so it, it's not always, idols aren't just always sinful things. Idols can be really good things in your life that you turn into God-like things. He says, flee from idolatry. Look at verse 15. I speak as some as sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say, I speak to you as sensible people. Now, there's, a, there, there's that old saying, uh, you know, he or she is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And, and now that may or may not be true for some people. It's, you know, certainly true for me. But, um, but, but when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to spiritual matters, guess what? We all have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, which helps us discern spiritual truths, Amen. And so, so what he is saying to them, you had the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, which helps you discern spiritual truths so you can understand or be able to tell whether what I'm saying is true or not. That's what he's getting after. This is why I call you every single week or when we stand and do the reading of the word, I want you to have the text in front of you. I want you to be able to see it on the screen. So as I say, this is what the text says, you as sensible people can discern for yourself whether or not I'm telling the truth, Amen. So so he's saying, he's about to get into verse 16, which is an amazing truth. And I wish I had two hours to talk about verse 16, but I don't. I got about five minutes to talk about verse 16, which is a terrible tragedy. That is the way it is. Now, verse 15, he says, I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. Here's what he wants you to judge for yourself if what he's saying is true. Verse 16, this is astonishing. Read it slowly with me and think about each part of it. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So in his attempt to get them to flee from idolatry, he draws them to the Lord's Supper. Now, why would he do that? In his attempt to get them to flee from idolatry, he draws them to this very sacred and special rite that we have as, com- as Christians called communion or the Lord's table or the Eucharist. Let's ask three questions about verse 16. First, what is the cup of blessing? Second, what is the bread? Third, how are we participating in it? Did you see that? This repetition of partic- the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ so what is what is the the cup this the idea of the blood what is the bread and how do we participate first the cup what is what is this cup of blessing? Well, as the Lord sat with his disciples at, at the Passover feast there, if you understand how that feast works, there are a series of cups. And, and they, they take each cup in turn um, as as it goes through the ceremony. And the third cup Jesus picked up, and, and he was supposed to give a blessing over the cup and, and give a blessing over the people that were there at the Passover feast. Instead, Jesus goes against hundreds of years of Jewish tradition and says, This is the cup, and it represents my blood, which will be poured out for you. So, as as we come to the communion table, we are partaking in a representation of the very blood of Christ that was shed for us in our place for our sins. So he says. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, the bread, he he again going against hundreds of years of Jewish tradition, he takes the, the unleavened bread and says, This is my body that will be broken for you. And so, as they scourged him, as they crucified him, those things became true. His his body was broken for us. And so as we take what we have now, which is a terrible, disgusting little wafer that I'm almost certain is made out of styrofoam. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, 2020. Uh, We appreciate you, coronavirus. That's the way we have to do it now. Uh, As we take that, that is a representation of Christ's broken body in our place for our sins. And in this beautiful ceremony, we are participating. We are participating in the death of Christ. Now, how? Okay, that's the third question we want to ask. How are we participating in the death of Christ? We participate in the death of Christ, listen to me, by remembering the myriad of blessings that come from the death of Christ. So, so as, we, as we take the juice in our hand and as we have the bread in our hand, our minds and our hearts should, should go to that faithful day on the cross when Jesus bled and died. And we should remember all of the beautiful blessings that come from it as we declare that we have been justified, we have been sanctified, we've been adopted into the kingdom of God. And on that faithful day when Jesus returns, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. He will welcome us into his kingdom all through the cross. And so this is the beautiful thing that we're remembering as we take the juice and as we take the bread, we're participating by remembering, but that's not all. There's something more, church family. There's something more because as we understand what communion is and what communion does, we realize that there is a very real, special, spiritual presence of Christ amongst his people as they together gather and take communion. He is spiritually sending his presence through the power of his Holy Spirit in a very real way. Now, now, is it, is it physically, is Christ physically here? Well, no, Christ is physically in heaven, but he sends his, his spirit in a very real and powerful way when the congregation stands together in unity and declares we are under the shed blood and the broken body of Christ. So we connect with Christ in a unique way, to where in the communion ceremony, he is ministering to your needs in a way that can't be done anyway and anywhere else. Okay, uh, listen, if you're taking notes, communion is remembering the sacrifice of Christ and the myriad of blessings that come from it. Listen, deepening our connection with him because of his real spiritual presence, listen, done in the context of community, done in the context of the local church. Where am I getting that from? Well, I'm getting that from verse 17. Look at verse 17. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for all partake of the one bread. That This is the unity of the fellowship of believers coming together and partaking of that. It is a united declaration that we are together as a church body, as a church family, united in Christ. Listen, are are we united in our our political leanings? Are, Are we united in race? Are, are, are we united in our socioeconomic background? Absolutely not. We are united in Christ and Christ alone. and the communion ceremony is a public and visible declaration that we are all together, no matter where you come from, no matter how much money you make or how much money you don't make, no matter what you believe about this this candidate or this candidate. We are all united under the banner of Jesus Christ, and communion as we take communion together is an, is, is a literal picture declaring that we all together believe and stand in Christ alone as our Savior. And so he is drawing them, he's drawing them away from idolatry by giving them not an individual identity, not by declaring their individual rights, but he is is drawing them away from idolatry by declaring their community identity, which is found in Christ alone. You see, Jesus died for a people, and so communion is to be taken with his, his people. Jesus died for his church, and so communion is to be taken with his church. Now, does that mean uh, that you should never take communion alone? Well, no. No. The Bible never forbids you taking communion alone. The Bible never forbids you um, at home taking uh, communion with your family unit. But what is clear is the fullness of the blessing happens when God's people are together and sharing communion together. Now, what he's been doing thus far is reminding the people of Israel's history and telling them, that Israel's history is their history, even though these are pagan Gentiles, right? <laughs> these are Gentiles. They are, they are not uh, uh, the people of Israel. But he's saying Israel's history is your history because God has one people, okay? So he, again, in, in verse 18, is going to bring up uh, that same idea. He says, consider the people of Israel. Uh, are not those who eat the sacrifice participants in the altar? So he's, he's taking them back to the old sacrificial system to where the priests would come before the nation and they would sacrifice an animal on behalf of the sins of the nation. And then they would partake and eat of that meat, again, showing that they are all united under Yahweh God, the one and only true God. They shared with what the sacrifice purchased, namely forgiveness, blessing, peace, reconciliation. It was their community pledge of faithfulness and fidelity to Christ and Christ alone. Verse 19, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? Uh, uh, Paul's saying, hold on, hold it. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I want you to understand what I'm saying. So why would they have misunderstood him? This is a very important question to, to understanding the rest of, of his argument and what he's saying. So so look back at it. What do I imply then that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? He's been talking about the power that comes when we participate in the death burial of Jesus through communion, okay? Take the, take the blood, the juice, take the body, the bread. You participate in that. It's a powerful thing. You're connecting with God. So don't go to the temple of Diana or Minerva or Jupiter, right? Don't go to those temples and participate. And so they're saying, well, wait a second. Why does it matter if we go to those temples and participate if idols aren't anything? Okay, so remember what he said back in uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 4. Look at chapter 8, verse 4. He says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. Paul, are you going back on what you said in in chapter 8, verse 4? No, no, he's not going back on what he said in chapter eight, verse four. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? Verse 20, no, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. (laughs) Y'all got your seatbelt on? (laughs) Okay, so so he is sticking with his argument from uh, 8.4 saying, oh, Diana is, is not a real God. So as they bow down to this statue that represents Diana, that, that stone, right? As, as they have these little wood carvings of, of Minerva that they carry around and they, and they pray to it or whatever, that, that's a piece of wood. It's, it's nothing, but there's something else going on. There's something going on behind the scenes. There, there's something else happening. This is the same Apostle Paul that said in Ephesians that we do not war against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against principalities, against evil forces in the cosmic and heavenly places. This is that same Apostle Paul that understands that behind those false and fake gods that are not real, that are nothing, there is real demonic activity going on behind them. He is connecting idol worship or running to anything other than Christ alone. He is connecting that to demonic activity. And so church family, if you are running to anything other than Christ alone, if you're placing your hope in anything other than Christ alone, if you're being fulfilled by anything other than Christ alone, that is demonic activity and we need to pray and plead the blood of Jesus Christ over it. He says, no, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. So, by eating meat sacrificed to idols in those temples, here's what was happening they were giving leeway to demonic forces and activity in their lives, they were giving leeway to that type of thing. They were giving greater influence. He's saying to them, you are partnering with demons instead of partnering with Jesus. He's saying, you, you are making yourself more vulnerable to evil forces rather than making yourself more vulnerable to Jesus. This is his warning to them. So here is what he is saying. Serve Christ alone, for he alone is worthy. Serve Christ alone, for he alone is worthy. Stop going to these pagan temples. Stop running to anything other Then Christ, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and of demons. You cannot have one foot in a secular, unholy world and one foot in the church. You can't do it. He, He says very, very clearly, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Now, let's think about that. Isn't that exactly what they were doing? So in what sense can't you do that? Because that's what they were doing, right? They were going down to the pagan temples on the feast days, and then there they were, bright and early, Sunday morning, hands in the air, you know, amazing grace. They they were doing both. They were doing both. So in what sense can't you do both? Well, you can if what you're doing at the table is just external. You can do both. You, you, can, you, you can worship other idols. You can have other gods all week long and then come in here on a Sunday morning and, and crack in your, your tiny little airplane juice and, and your tiny little wafer and, and do the deal if it's only external. You can absolutely do that. But you cannot do it if what you are doing is truly internal. Meaning, look at me, church family, if you are coming to the table of Christ and really drinking of him, if you are really ingesting the beauty, the majesty of who Christ is, then your soul is filled, and all those other idols and all the that's on offer out there looks disgusting to you because you have been filled by the true Christ. Yeah. If you're taking notes, if you have truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good, Psalm 34.8, if you have truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then the things of this world will never satisfy you. you. You will come to this place and come to this understanding that what the world has on offer will merely be drinking sand to a person dying of thirst. When you truly come and set at the table. Paul here is echoing the words of Christ from Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You you can insert anything else you want to right there for money. Cannot serve two masters. Verse 22. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Let me just make a plea to you this morning. If you find your heart wandering away from the Lord, if you, if you are feeling this pull to serve other gods, I want to remind you this morning that Jesus is deeply in love with you. He loves you because you are his bride. He is passionate for you like you are his bride. And so by going to other gods, it stirs his jealous heart and his heart is jealous for you because he loves you. He loves you so much he gave his life for you. Don't you see? This is why we should run away from idols because they'll never satisfy us. And what we have is a savior who's deeply in love with us so much so that when we turn our back on him for just the slightest moment to be fulfilled by Something or someone else, his heart is stirred with jealousy because of his love for us. Don't you see? Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Listen to this last rhetorical question. Are we stronger than he? I mean, what's what's the obvious answer to this question? <laughs> no, we're not. L- listen, we are weak, needy, and poor. In addition, we cannot afford to run to any other table because of our neediness. Don't you see? Because of our weakness, because of our neediness, we cannot afford to run to anything other than Christ alone because he is the one that satisfies and he is the one that fulfills. Well, church family, what must we do with this text? I mean, there's... uh... There's no temple of Diana here in Fayetteville that I know of. Uh, There's no pagan feasts offering us meat that I know of here. What shall we do with this text? Well, you see, this text is not necessarily about the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning. This text is about the Lord's Supper on Monday afternoon. This text is about the Lord's Supper and how it impacts you and what it does to you on Tuesday night when you're feeling tempted. That is what this text is exactly about. John Calvin famously said that our hearts are idol factories. That that day by day, we're creating new things to, to run to instead of God. You see, idolatry says, I'm coming to you, whatever you are, whoever you are, so that you can do for my soul what Jesus can't do. That's idolatry, and the problem is they simply can't. So the call from this text is to flee from idolatry. Some of you, it's gonna be so incredibly obvious what your, your idols are, drunkenness, sexual immorality, uh, th- those type of things are, are so clear, and you know that you need to repent. Others of us, they are way more subtle, and what we must do is the hard work of discovering those idols and killing those idols and getting them out of the way you're taking notes, ask yourself this question, what am I running to and asking it to do for my soul what only God can do? What am I running to and asking it to do for my soul what only God can do? This is where now we are asking the Holy Spirit to come in and help us do this type of heart work. Church family, I wanna pray for us. I wanna lead us. Oh, I'm back. I wanna lead us this morning in a prayer of repentance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna repent this morning of some idols that I have in my life, okay? I'm gonna lead us in a prayer of repentance. And then what I want us to do as we move into um, our, our time of response, I'm calling every single member of Gospel Community Church to search your heart and to repent of idols. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray um, for Gospel Community Church. I pray for the idols that we have in our life, Lord. I, I ask your repentance, For making my family an idol. I run to and look to my family to fill places in my soul that only you. Phil, Lord. I ask repentance now publicly uh, in front of my church for making the church an idol for me personally, Lord. I, I want to have a large church. I want people to think I preach good. I want other pastors to look at me and pat me on the back, Lord, and I run to that and look to that instead of serving you and you alone, instead of looking for you to give me uh, what you have already given me. Uh, you've called me son. You have approved of me. Lord, forgive me for running to others for approval. This is an idol, Lord, and I ask your repentance. Forgive me uh, for these idols and the many others, Lord, that I don't see. Send your spirit now to open my eyes to idols that I'm running to, Lord. I want to serve you and you alone, Lord. I want to have a radical faith, Lord, that, that is turning to you for my hope, for my joy, for my meaning, and for my purpose. Do this in my heart, Lord, and do this in the hearts of the people of Gospel Community Church. Lead us now, Lord, into a place of open, and honest repentance so that as we move into the time where we take Holy Communion, our hearts are solely on you as we take of your blood and your body and remember who you are, Lord. Usher in your special presence even now. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.